So I think that a lot of guys get into the habit of trying to find the perfect swing. Um, that's something that I'm saying from experience. I think I've made every mistake in golf possible and trying to go against my natural tendencies has been a big one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we've got part two of my conversation with Michael Leonard. We're going to be talking about a different kind of goal for your round, having a consistently detailed structure, what it's like to play Q school as an amateur, techniques to move on from bad shots, what better players do that average players don't, playing your own game and being true to yourself, and a whole lot more. You should walk away from this episode having a better mentality around leaning into your own game and not trying to be something you're not. But before we get into this episode, I have a brand new product that I just released that I want to tell you about. It is a custom weekly practice plan hand-built by me. Something I've always prided myself on is my efficiency and quality of my practice, not just the quantity. And I know now more than ever, with a, a full-time job, with a, a one-year-old, with life, just responsibilities, the importance of quality time spent when you get to the practice facility. I have a tendency, maybe you can relate to this, to show up and just practice what I emotionally feel like practicing, which for me is usually hitting way too many balls, way too fast, and working on my swing the entire time. Maybe yours is just, I, I only ever putt, or I only ever work on what I'm good at. But when I'm at my best, and the way I was able to make it to the finals of a USGA championship was a structured, unemotional plan for what I was going to practice. So what I've created with the custom weekly practice plan is I take your stats, whether you take detailed strokes gain stats, or just a general assessment of your driving approach, short game and putting, as well as your time availability to be at the course, to play and practice, and any other info that you think is relevant to a practice plan. And I calculate exactly how much time you should spend on each facet of the game, broken up into block, random, and challenge practice. And I even fill out a calendar for you to follow down to the minute. And included in all of that are some practice challenges that I did to help apply and add pressure to what I had been practicing. And again, this is me actually hand entering all of this information. It's not just a program that spits out a generic plan. I use my knowledge and experience to actually input your data that you give me from filling out a form and I build your practice week. So whether you're a pro golfer with 40 hours of practice time, or even if you have one hour a week to practice, and I would argue, especially if you have just one hour, you need to make the most of your time. And having the custom practice plan hand-built by someone who has done it and seen its benefits is essential. To get more info on the practice plan and to go purchase it, go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan. And also the link will be in the show notes of this episode. So I highly recommend go checking that out. I'm proud of it. I'm, I like the implementation. I used it the very last time I practiced. I'm going to use it again the next time. It just keeps me very structured and unemotional, which I think is vital. So yes, practice is super important, but your mental game, that's why you're here. That's why you're at the Mental Golf Show. So if you want to actually play up to your potential, you need to work on your mental game. So if you want to work with me one-on-one -on, -one on your mental game, that's what I actually do as my full-time occupation. 
In my sessions with players, we discuss their mental game areas in need of improvement, what's at the root of those areas, and concepts and exercises to help them improve in those areas. And yes, we also discuss things like practice, course strategy, tournament prep, things to do during the off season or at home. We go over all of that in my sessions with players. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com, or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. And I also encourage you to go take the mental game assessment. It's the least formal, least uh, also the freest way to get to get the most info on how to work on your mental game. Over 1,300 golfers have taken the free 15-minute questionnaire and have learned their mental strengths and areas of improvement. So you should go take the mental game assessment, hand-built by me and my instructor, mentor, Robert Limble. I, I'm it's, it's the thing I'm most proud of. It's the thing that's helped the most people uh, across all of the things that I've done. So uh, maybe besides this podcast, this podcast has helped a lot of people, but go take the mental game assessment. The link to everything I've mentioned, uh, including the practice plan, how to contact me to work one-on-one on your mental game, and the mental game assessment, all of that will be in the show notes of this episode. Okay, enough about me and what I got going on. Let's learn from Michael Leonard on how to make golf more simple. We're going to jump right into the middle of this awesome conversation, so I hope you enjoy. When you get to a a tournament, do you have expectations for how you want it to go? Do you have a do you have goals? Do you have hard goals? Do you have soft this is how I want to be during I know you said mellow Mike, but but you don't you don't really set goals for rounds? No, uh not for results oriented. So sure. I will set uh I set goals every year for how I'd like the year to turn out. Um I okay. think I could look at them a little bit more often. Yeah. <laughs> now that I now yeah. that I think about it. Uh but yeah, I definitely, you know, I think Justin Thomas started doing that and sharing it on yep. social media a few years ago. And I was like, man, these are great, great goals. So I have done, so I have like big goals, you know, like I want to, you know, top 20 and, uh, or top 10 in the four majors we have in Arizona golf and, you know, maybe, and make it to one, uh, either USGA event or one pro event, uh, qualifying. And so I was, I was able to get some of those goals. And then there's more like, you know, I want to, cause I track all my stuff in decade golf after each round. Mm-hmm. So then I can study the stats afterwards and be like, yeah, you know, fairways have went up this year, greens have went up, sand saves, whatever. So I have different goals like that, but heading into a round, the only goal I set is a birdie goal. And Mm -hmm. so I just say, how many birdies are we going to try to make today? Because certain courses are just going to yield more birdies than others. Certain tournaments are going to yield more birdies than others. So my coach got me kind of on that. And I I have loved that. I think Hmm. that that for me has been really good because when I go out there and try and set a score goal, it's, it's too uh, restrictive. It, it just sure. kind of feels like I'm trying to guide it and tr- kind of trying to control too much, but a birdie goal is, is really fun and kind of exciting. And if you're, you know, a high mid higher, mid to higher handicap, maybe it could be a par goal, but having that is good because it keeps your foot on the gas. I notice sometimes I get off to a hot start and then I'd be like, Oh, I'm out of my comfort zone or, Oh, I'm in the lead or top five. And, you know, it's like, Oh, we don't want to, you know, whatever that belief is. And, so it's like, no, we got to keep going here because mm-hmm. bogeys oh, probably are going to happen. I had one bogey free round this year. So bogeys are going to happen just like bad shots are going to happen. And so having a birdie goal is is really motivating and it's exciting. It doesn't mean you need to play ultra aggressive, but like 
I had a tournament. Uh, I rarely hit my birdie goal because I set them pretty ambitiously. But in uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I actually won an event. And the first day I had a six birdie goal. There's four par four, uh, four par fives, a drivable par four, and then another kind of short par four. So like, hey, ideally, we could birdie all six of those. And then, you know, if some bogeys happen, we're still shooting in the 60s. And uh, I was able to do that on the 18th hole. I roped a drive, stuffed a wedge. And then I was like, Hey, we got one more birdie. Like we got to Let's, let's get this thing in. And the pod ended up dropping. And nice. it was just kind of funny that it, I was finally able to get it. And then the next day I made five of six and, and ended up winning. And so it was like, I really like that because it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to, mm-hmm. you know, want to play it safe. Um, but yeah, like, like, uh, when you have that goal to keep pressing and keep focused, uh, for me, that really just helps keep me motivated, but I'm not thinking like, I got to win this tournament or I got to do this. Yeah. That, that, that for me just hasn't, hasn't worked well. Those get taken care of if you do the other things well. Right. So you mentioned playing it safe and trying to keep your foot on the gas and I don't want to fall into playing it safe. When you're playing around a golf, a tournament, you also mentioned that you, you do decade golf stats. So most of us listening know decade and it's kind of preaches a conservative approach to like approach shots, right? Uh, send it on the tee, play approach shots conservatively. Do you go against that because of your kind of birdie mentality of like today it's for making birdies. So I'm firing at flags. How do you think about that? Yeah, I guess i I love decade. I mean, decade has changed my game. Um, yeah, I had Scott on and we talked and, and I, for some reason, I think different personality types are going to enjoy that, uh, analytical approach more than others. Some people are like, this sounds like my nightmare. Other people are that I've introduced it to are like, this is awesome. I like it because it gives me structure. So I have a very clear game plan before every tournament day. I mean, from what club I'm going to hit to where I'm going to tee it off from on the side of the tee box to the, you know, I mean, I am like, if I can, I'll even like figure out my target zone. Like I I like to have as I want to think as least as possible when I'm out there because I know I'm going to have to make a lot of other decisions. So it's like, let's save our mental energy. You know, the billionaires wear the same t-shirts every day kind of thing. That's my mentality is like, let's, wake up. I got my outfit ready. I got everything planned. Of course, things are going to change wind pins, things like that. But I like having that. And then I don't necessarily try and ever, I very rarely deviate from the decade approach target. I mean, like never. So I don't think, cause I think to me that is playing wicked smart. Um, but it, to me, it's like, it gives you the best chance. Cause when you start firing at too many flags, especially when you shouldn't be with mid irons or even, you know, some, some of the shorter irons, depending on where the pin is, you're just going to give yourself, you know, having to grind it for a par, or make more bogeys. So I do stick with the decade approach target a lot. I hit a lot of drivers off the tee for sure. And uh, yeah, I think that for me, that has worked really well. I, I don't try and force it. Um, but yeah, I just think that like par fives are scoring holes in general for, for solid golfers. And then there's, you know, maybe a couple of par fours, Par threes, happy to make even, you know, even through the round. Great if one goes in. But I think that decade gives me the best chance to hit more greens, which then just gives the gives the ball a chance to get in the hole a little quicker. Yes. Okay. I like that kind of nuance to it. I love decade, but I also have a strategy that makes room for me to want to make birdies, right? It's not a total eliminate bad holes. There's also a proactive, this is what I want to accomplish out of this round. That's awesome. That's really good. So you mentioned you played, um, or you, you got into Q school or you, or you 
played in, at Q school. Is that the paid them thousands of dollars? <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice donation. Right. Uh, that's, yeah, right. That's what I say when I sign up for USGA events. I'm going to, it's a generous yeah. donation to the USGA. They just keep going up every year too. Know, it's just like yeah. a black hole. It's crazy. Of money. Just, yep. So was that the highest pressure you've ever been under? What is the most pressure you've ever been under uh, competitively? Yeah, that's a good question. That I think for me going to Q school was like something like a childhood dream I always had was to be a pro golfer and, you know, just, just dreaming big when you're young. And obviously I, I quit in college and and kind of gave up on that dream, got into the corporate world. But I always thought like, man, that would just be so cool to go do. It's kind of one of those things where for me, it was like, I just, I hate regret. I don't want to end up and be like, damn, I was pretty good. Maybe I could have made it kind of a thing. And uh, so for me, it was like, well, I mean, I have my own business. I can create my own schedule. Like, what's the worst that can happen? That was kind of my mentality. And uh, yeah, man, I was nervous. Like thinking about that. Oh, my God. So I flew out to Nebraska and uh, I wanted to go somewhere completely on my own. I didn't want anyone there watching. I didn't want anyone I knew. I wanted to just be like a little little mic retreat out there and let's let's see what happens. And uh, I was working a lot lot too. So I needed a good, needed a good break and just wanted to focus on golf. I don't know how I ended up. I think there's, you know, 10 sites or so for maybe not that many, seven, eight for pre-qualifying. And so I decided Nebraska, I looked at the course, looked awesome. Never been to Nebraska. So booked it about 35, 40 days in advance. And uh, yeah, just, I think I played or practiced every single day leading up to it. It was, it was aggressive. I was like, once again, I don't want to be like, well, like kind of half-assed it heading in here. Like this is $3,000. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's give it, give it our all. Sure. But I was like, uh, I think that is definitely the most pressure because I realized I, like, man, people are playing for their livelihood mm. here. You know, like this is, this is like legitimately how people are paying the bills and so I had no pressure. I went as an am. Um, I'd love to say I had no pressure, but I definitely felt it still. That first hole, whew, I made the ugliest bogey you could make. I like thinned a three wood. I it was it was like, like two hundred yard three wood, so it was real thin. Uh, pull pulled a, a nine iron over the green. Had the just couldn't have left myself a worse shot. I didn't know decade at all. By the way, this was twenty nineteen and. I, I was probably like a two or three. I mean, I wasn't, I'm like a plus two now. And I just feel like a lot smarter in terms of strategy and stuff. So I kind of look back. I'm like, damn, that was ambitious, Mike. You weren't very good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, seriously, I, I I was, I'm laughing. And uh, I, I go out and I hit a, a okay chip, but the green's running away. I got like a 10 footer for bogey. I make it. And I'm like, oh my God, that was like, I was like hyperventilating. I was so nervous. So this was kind of before wicked smart days too. And I didn't learn, I didn't know a lot of the mental stuff. And then I made a birdie like three holes later. And I was like, oh, we can do this. And I ended up the first day shooting my best round. I shot even par 71. And uh, looking back, I was like, man, that, and this golf course was awesome. Like hard, tipped out, deep, rough. 12, 13 greens. I mean, they were fast. So it was just a great environment. You know, I'm paired up with everybody was, I think I got paired up with one AM one day. Um, I think I went 71, 73, 75 or 76 that last day. I missed it by a couple. Um, but you know, walking, I remember it was 90% humidity, 90 degrees. I was like, what having to wear pants. So, I mean, I couldn't have been more out of my element. <laughs> so a lot of pressure uh, on that first hole, but then once you kind of get in the swing of it, you know, you're just playing golf again. And so it was definitely the most pressure, but it was also the most the most fun and the most proud of I've ever been of myself in a, in a tournament. And now anytime I find myself in a quote unquote pressure situation, like a couple of weeks ago when I was in the lead, I was like, you went to Q school. Like This is like, you know, not to like 
think I'm cool or anything, but I was like, we, we love to make pressure and make more out of situations than they are. And so reminding yourself that you've been there, you've done it, you've been in other competitions. Um, I think that can really help. And so that's, that's why I tell people to sign up for events and, and just give it a shot and you're either going to love it or hate it. But if you love it, you're probably going to want to keep playing it more because those competitive juices, it's just tough to replicate anything else other than like roller coasters, skydiving, things like that. And uh, it's fun to see how you do under pressure and you either do well and you're proud of yourself or you don't do as well, but you know what you need to work on moving forward. So was your purpose for, for playing that? Like if I do well, I'm turning pro, like that's what I'm doing here. Or was it just the pure, I don't want to have regrets. This would be fun to try. I think it was like 5% pro. I mean, I was 29 at the time. So it was like, uh, no, thir- oh, geez, tough math there. I guess I was like 30, 31. So yeah, no, I mean, I knew I was going to be like an older guy out there. And uh, so I'd say like 5% thought I could actually go pro, maybe like 1%. But yeah, pretty much for me, it was like, let's go play in a huge event, see what happens and make some memory. So that, that was kind of it for me. I'm a big fan of uh, getting out of your comfort zone and, and doing things that absolutely terrify you. I guess at the time you had some belief that you could do it, would you say? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely did. Especially after shooting 71, I was like in the top 12. I was like, who is this guy? You know, like I, I have some clutch shots that I still fall back on to this day and think about. So, yeah, I think the belief's always there. Um, I definitely did not realize how hard the the mini tour journey is. I started playing a lot more mini tour events the next few years. And, you know, you're meeting guys and hearing their story. And kind of like we talked about, it's a, it's a just a tough, tough test. And so I think for me at that point is when I was like, I don't know if I really want to be a pro golfer, but I love golf. I want to be involved in it as much as I can. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of business opportunities. So yeah, I think it, it was, it was a lot of different reasons I went and I got a lot out of it. Yeah. I mean, you, you have, you always have that to fall back on and say, you tried, I didn't, I was trying to get good enough to play pro golf. I, I had the financial kind of, I wasn't able to buck up that amount of money, but I have that regret you could say i don't really regret not ever trying but you have tried and i have not and that's awesome to be able to say you always have that that's really cool thank you yeah it's it's, it's definitely a fond memory looking back on it and uh i now i i want to go back again just because i i want to see where I, my game is just because i feel like i'm a hundred times better um longer off the tee better with irons just mentally a hundred x better so yeah it, it would be fun it might happen again one of the things you mentioned that you said going into that was what's the worst that can happen, right? That was, it was kind of a, let's just, let's just try this and see what happens. 1% I could actually go through on this and, and turn pro. Right. But honestly, what's the worst that can happen? So does that mentality come up for the other events that you play that are smaller, that you feel like I can win this, I should win this. Are you still able to channel that? Uh, what's the worst that can happen? Let's just go see. Yeah, that's, I mean, like I said, I do not set goals for any tournament. Like, you know, I, I just don't think it works for me and maybe it does for some guys and motivates them. But for me, it's like, I have to play free and I have to to play my game. And I know that if I do, if I do my job, it's going to get me really closer, you know, right there. And so I definitely don't think I ever try and force it anymore. Excuse me, for the most part, like that U S open qualifying round for sure. I was way too like I because I the last year was one shot or two shots out I was like 
top five when I was looking at the leaderboard at one point, you know? So I, I think I pressed it twice in two events this year. Uh, but for the most part, I do not. And those are the rounds that usually mellow Mike takes a little break and the Hulk comes out. And so, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get Bruce Banner back out there a little bit more often. So hopefully a couple, couple of listeners are Marvel fans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, um, on, when I was on your show, we talked a little bit about, um, kind of the number one thing that players mentioned to me is moving on from bad shots. Like, how do you do it? What do I do? I get, I bring this bad shot into the next one. What does Mike do to move on from bad shots? Because as we talked about, we know bad shots are going to happen. You expect bad things to happen. So when you hit a terrible one, what do you do to move on? So I think it's important to have more than one uh, fallback. Cause yeah, like it, I wish you could just say there's, it's one thing I always do, but I think having kind of like a like an arsenal, if you will, just just in case, because, you know, there's different types of bad shots, too. Um, one thing is expecting them to happen at some point. Um, the second thing that I do is, is a, a trigger. So I I always recommend anyone I'm like working with. I'm like, hey, either, you know, take your glove or undo the glove as soon as that shot's over. You know, that way you're just like, hey, the shot's over. Have some sort of post shot routine. Um, that that's huge for me. Uh, another thing I honestly do is I just laugh. I, I just, when you laugh, you just kind of deescalate the situation and you just, I mean, like some shots you hit are laughably bad, especially when you get to a certain level where you're like, I wouldn't hit that one out of a million, but I found a way to do it in a tournament, you know? So I think for me, it's, it's having a trigger. It's having a post-shot acceptance, uh, part of the routine, and then it's as quickly as possible being like, what do we need to do on the next shot? Not like dwelling on it. I think dwelling on it is bad. Um, I did have a sports psychologist I talked to before Q school and he he recommended the rubber band trick. So just have a rubber band, you know, as soon as you uh, find yourself getting, you know, dwelling on that past shot or going ahead to the future, snap that thing to kind of snap yourself back to reality. I love that trick as well. And uh, And then sometimes just going away from golf you know, talking to your guy you're riding in your cart with about anything else, just trying to leave it in the past. I always say leave the analyzing until after the round. Like we don't need to analyze why that just happened. Um, because then by the time you get to that next shot, you're still going to be probably trying to play scientists and on what happened there and not going to be able to, you know, them hit another good shot. So there's nothing worse than hitting one bad shot. And then, you know, all of a sudden you have a bad hole because you let your mind kind of stay with it. Yeah. Okay. Is, is that something you feel like you've improved? over the years greatly yeah i i mean bad shots now i i i like to think i always say this quote to myself i'm like great moments are born from great opportunities a little uh miracle quote there and because i think when you hit a bad shot you have a great opportunity now to hit a good shot and so i i like to keep myself laughing out there as much as possible and uh that one for me has worked really well and uh what I tell people when I'm working with them, like with mental golf students, I'm like, when is getting mad and being still pissed off at the next shot ever helped? Right. Well said. You know, you just kind of, they're like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy. But when you think about that, you're like, hey, I don't want to hit two bad shots in a row here. I need to get myself back. I mean, golf is such a hard sport. You got to be 100% there mentally and physically. And you got to, you got to have your mind where your feet is. Otherwise, you know, you're just not going to not going to play your best. So, yeah, it's it's an evolution. I don't think there's one thing, but it's a myriad of different ways. And it's all about trying and testing. You know, I'm a big fan of just testing what works for you. 
just like a golf swing, not every, you know, different part of the swing is going to work for you and your body and the, the way you move. And so test, test, test. Yeah, man, you're preaching, man. That's, that's, that's great <laughs> stuff. That's great stuff. So, uh, you, you mentioned you've, you've worked, you have your own clients, you've, uh, you run a podcast, you've, um, been in the golf space for a long time. You, you've seen high performers. You are a high performer, uh, the best golfers. What do you feel like the best golfers do better or different than kind of average players and best and average can be left up to interpretation. But what do you think? I think the biggest thing I would say is it's just nothing special. Like, I think that like when you are trying to get really good or maybe like, I always recommend everyone like play with really good players as often as you can, yeah. if you really want to get good because you'll see that they don't do that much different. Like, yeah, they might hit it a little bit farther, but like they're not doing these like heroic shots that you see on TV. I always say, you know, the PGA Taurus, it's a highlight reel. Everybody thinks that these guys hit 390 and stuff irons and hold out from the around the green and make 40 footers. It's like, no, we, we need a low light reel is what we need. Like a, we need ESPN eight to be showing all the bad shots too. You know, <laughs> that would be fun to watch. That would be, I would watch that a hundred. I would watch that a hundred times more than I would watch the good golf <laughs> because everybody yeah. needs to see. I love watching great players hit bad shots. It's a reminder that we're not perfect and that, you know, good players are going to hit a lot of bad ones. And so for me, I would say they swing their swing. Uh, first and foremost, I can think of three guys I know right now that have very unorthodox swings uh, by, you know, a lot of swing instructors, um, you know, viewpoint, and they're some of the most consistent golfers I know. So I think that a lot of guys get into the habit of trying to find the perfect swing. Um, that's something that I'm saying from experience. I think I've made every mistake in golf possible and trying to go against my natural tendencies has been a big one. So yeah, swing your swing. I mean, like, look at all, like, look at Jim Fuhrer, look at every, you know, like Scotty Shuffler going to have, yeah, Scotty Shuffler guys feet are insane. I don't know how he stands up. Right. But to me, it's like, that should be evidence. Like so many people that are trying to get this perfect P2, P3, and they're like going down this rabbit hole swing your swing and play one shot shape. Like I'd say that's, that's one of the biggest things from decade. But when I really look at it, when I play with good golfers, they're not usually hitting a draw, then a cut, then a low, then a high. They're, they're pretty standard. Like they're just kind of, it's boring. And I think that golfers try to make it too hard and try and hit those hero shots. And that can derail the mental game, derail uh, confidence, momentum. And so I'd say swing your swing to uh, play one shot shape. And then the third thing would just be to figure out how you perform best on a golf course mentally. So some people like myself engaging with others, I'm talking to people, laughing, jovial, other guys, tiger, like head down. That's fine, but you got to play like your personality type. Um, you know, if I try and play like tiger, I'm not going to play good because I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I like talking to people. I like being around, look at Phil and tiger. Those are the two perfect examples, you know? Phil is outgoing. He's shaking hands. He's, you know, thumbs everywhere. Tiger just down. He wouldn't even like hug a baby. You know, he's just down, but that's how they both performed. And I think that when Phil tried to play like tiger or if tiger tried to be like Phil, they just wouldn't play as good. So figuring out your, your best functions are are huge out there because then you're going to be able to access the zone a lot more and you're, you're going to have more fun too. Mm. Okay. So what, a, what a best players do? They, it's more simple. It's more boring and they're, they be themselves. Be themselves right? and swing. Yeah. Swing your swing. Yeah. Swing your those, swing. those are the biggest things. It's just nothing crazy. Like I played with a guy that shot like 65 and I was like, 
he didn't do that much different than I did. You know, it, it's just, I think that if you don't see really good golf a lot, you think they're doing something different. So that's why I always encourage people to play with better players. And that's why entering in tournaments is good because you're going to, you could get paired with the guy who wins it and you can see firsthand. You're like, Oh wow. They're not hitting it that much farther than me and not doing that much different. And that can be a real way to unlock your potential because you're like, I'm, I'm pretty close. Right. Yeah. When we, when we watch TV golf, their primary job is to make it entertaining, dramatic, like exciting. So they're not going to show us, wow, these guys are kind of boring mm -hmm. with their deal. Right. They don't, we don't listen in on every conversation because while the nerds of us get geek out on like, what are they talking about with their caddy? Mm -hmm. Mostly it's like, man, they're just like kind of systematic and just re repetitive with this. And it's really simple and boring and they're not trying to do all this crazy stuff. So we don't get to see that with TV golf and it's deceptive to what's reality and you're preaching reality. So that's awesome. Yeah. The highlight reel is the PGA tour for sure. That's why I always like, uh, I have a whole chapter in my book just about the expectations and like, you know, like my favorites and I'll just get paired with some random guys in a practice round and they're not playing a tournament. They're just playing the course and you know, they'll have a 10, 12 footer and they'll miss it and be like, God, I should have made that one. And I'm like, do you know what the PGA tour averages from 10 feet? No. I'm like, well, it's like 40% and you're not a PGA tour player. So why <laughs> are you quite. getting mad? You know? And so they're like, people get like kind of mad sometimes. Like, oh, this guy knows it all. But I'm like, I'm just trying to provide some, some uh, expectation management because half the time, probably 70% of the time I got mad in my younger part of my career is because I just thought I should make all these putts. And it's like, if the best guys in the world on the best, you know, greens with the best equipment and coaches aren't doing it. Why should you expect to do it? So kind of getting yourself back to reality is, uh, is key. Yes. Okay. So, uh, as you, as we look forward to your personal golf career, we'll say, and I know you don't like setting goals, but you also, you also mentioned that you kind of set those like yearly goals. Oh yeah. I like big goals. Oh yeah. I love big goals. Okay. So, so in the, in the theme of the kind of Justin Thomas, like if you, if the year has stopped right now, which it hasn't, you're in Arizona, your golf, golf season continues, mm -hmm. but how would you categorize this year? And then what would you say next year needs to be? Yeah. I, unfortunately, most of the tournaments, uh, kind of are done. Yeah. Cause we have, uh, we have two more kind of two day ones and then October we have overseed. So all the courses close in Arizona for three weeks, which is just terrible because the weather turns perfect. So you just drive by courses that are closed. It's it's sad, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the the main season is like it starts in January. There's one or two events, and then the real heat of it though is like April to August. It's like a tournament blur. And uh, so, if I had to say this year, I'd say I I did pretty well this year. I'm like I qualified for a pro event. I won a two day event. So there's definitely some good lows. There was a few low lows or excuse me, there's some good highs, but there was definitely some lows as well. But I think I did the best job ever this year of learning from my lows and really trying to not personalize it and just like learn from your mistakes. You know, you're like we're human beings. We're absolute mistake. That's all we do is we just make mistakes. We got, you got to learn from them though. So uh, that has been really good for me. And I'm most proud this year of my process. I feel like I really have dialed in like the pre-tournament routine, my practice round routine, how I show up to golf tournaments, how I act during golf tournaments, 99% of the time. Uh, you know, so I feel like that, that has made the biggest difference to me. And uh, you, I think 
it's hard with golf because we always just think it's just the score and we're always like, it was a better or worse than last year. But I think when you get to a certain point, you kind of have to, you can look at the numbers and you can be like, yeah, you know, I had more top tens last year or whatever the case may be. But at the same time, you know, people are always getting better. You got more tournaments, like some things are out of your control. So it's about like, Hey, did I control what I did? Did I practice enough? Did I, you know, really get my routine? I upgraded a lot of equipment this year that has made a big difference. So I would say it was definitely a win this year. Um, but you know, you're always just going to have some ones where you're like, God, that got away from me, you know, like that. Sure. And so one thing I, I am, I already have a practice plan or not even practice plan, but a, um, an improvement plan, if you will, both mental and physical for next year. Cause I, uh, I'm always thinking about this game. And so I, I feel like having a good plan, but yeah, I like to always set the goals for the year. Then we, you know, set some time to re- review them, really dig deep into them, numbers, things like that, and then go out and do it again. But yeah, I think you just have to have the, uh, the right attitude and the right, you know, kind of mindset that, Hey, my best golf's ahead of me still. Right. And how next year goes, will go how it will go based on mm-hmm. what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just those little things you do every single day that, that are gonna, that are gonna make it. And then, you know, you gotta remember it's still golf. You know, you could play the best golf ever and then somebody else just has the week of their life. You know, there was one term I played in where I played pretty good and the guy won by 10. Oh, goodness. Like, I, I wasn't going to do that, you know, <laughs> so you can't beat yourself up, but yeah, I think, uh, control what you can. Okay. So one last question and then we'll, then we'll hit, hit the final stretch. This is a silly question that I love asking at the end of this. Um, what percent of golf is physical? What percent is mental? I mean, there's two ways you could take it. Um, in that book, I was referencing an arc talk, Jira golf. He, he broke it down and said that it's 93% mental because 93% of the time you're not hitting a shot. So when you're out there for five hours, you're only hitting shots, 18 minutes or something like that, whatever you added up, like the whole routine. To, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. So you hear that, you know, I think Jack Nicholas said it's 90% mental. That guy said 93%. I would say that it's, it's close to like 50 50 for me because you can have the best mental game in the world. But if you physically don't have the skills, you could have all the self-talk, the body language. You could be looking just like Dr. Bob Rotella in, in a golfer out there. But if you don't have the skills to back it up, it's, it's you know, positive thinking is only going to take you so far. So I think that it's, it's, I think that'd be probably fair. 50 50. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. There's no perfect answer to that. So good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what would you, obviously you've got your book. Um, where would you send people? What would you promote? How do you, how do you want to, uh, share yourself with everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Everything is, uh, out there. YouTube podcast, uh, podcast, probably the best spot. I, uh, pump out a lot of content on there. I, uh, as you guys can probably tell, enjoy talking. So three episodes a week, uh, we have a Tuesday solo episode, uh, Thursday is either a guest or a Q and a from a listener. And then Friday is five minute Friday where I share one tip, uh, to play better this weekend in five minutes or less. And, um, yeah, so I would say the podcast and then, uh, the book's a really good starter for a lot of people too, just cause there's 111 tips and you can open it up to anyone at any time. They don't really rely on reading the first, you know, 20 pages or the first hundred. So, um, I like to give people real tangible things and keep it as simple as possible so they can go right out and start seeing some improvements. Awesome. So everything that we've talked about, well, I'll put in the show notes. So yeah, TikTok, Instagram, everything's out there, YouTube. So, okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Michael. This is, this has been awesome. I hope the listeners got as much out of this as I did because it was, this was, it was really good. Perfect, man. I really appreciate it. Let me uh, ramble on about uh, all kinds of things today. And uh, it's been just a a great time and uh, appreciate you having me on the show. 
All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael. I really like his enthusiasm for golf and his conviction on his process. He really seems to love his own golf game and he wants to get better just for the pure joy of getting better. I think those are great traits that we could all use more of. And what I think on a, on a mental psychological standpoint, I think it's a great way to have sustainable confidence is to value the process of improvement and loving your own game and loving seeing yourself get better and loving playing golf tournaments. That's a better way. That's a better source for confidence than I need it to go well. I need this tournament to, to be a good result. I need this shot to be a good shot. That's fragile confidence, as we know. So Michael's mentality is a is a great uh, source of sustainable confidence. So I hope you came away with some of the same insights I did and just feel inspired by just hearing Michael talk. So uh, I loved these, these two parts of this uh, whole conversation. It's been awesome. And if you like this episode, you'll probably like some of my other interviews with performance coaches like Michael. I did a whole run of episodes in 2022 that I, I think it bled into 2023, early early 2023 as well, with a bunch of certified mental performance consultants and PhDs in psychology, just some really, really smart people that I was able to learn a lot from. And I got a lot of good feedback from, from those episodes of just like pure psychology knowledge and pure mental game performance improvement knowledge so go scroll back to 2022 early 2022 i think it's they start around january with like uh lou stagner or uh patrick cone or somebody uh, dr joseph parent someone back there kind of started a really good run go scroll back to there check some of those interviews out they are packed with great uh golf improvement and golf psychology info And again, if you want to check out the custom weekly practice plan and get your practice plan hand built for you by me, then go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan to learn more about it and to purchase it. Again, this is something that I actually used to get to the finals of a USGA championship. I use, uh, I just used last week. I, I really, really value it just as something that I, um, just for my own practice. So, uh, and I consider myself a, a good player who, who wants to get the most out of their time, their limited time at the practice facility. So if that sounds like you, uh, even if you just have one hour a week, uh, to practice, uh, I think you need a custom practice plan, a an, an unemotional, well thought out, uh, structured practice plan, and this is that. So go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan to learn more uh, and to and to get your custom weekly practice plan. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and entertainment purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through. I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you you feel like you need one-on-one work with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so that it can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or again, if you'd like a less formal intro where you don't even need to talk to me at all, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that'll give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. Again, 
The best part is it's free. The link to everything I've mentioned, including Michael Leonard's stuff, will be in the show notes of this episode. So be sure to click around and and get the most out of this podcast by actually clicking through to all the resources. All right. Thanks again to everyone who listens to The Mental Golf Show. Truly, it's, it's an honor. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really, truly, deeply appreciate the community that we've all been a part of building. I think it's it's just been the joy of my life to be able to put out these 170 some odd episodes to slowly build this community. I think it's, I think it's really, really cool. So if you've learned something on this episode or on this podcast in general, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple podcast or Spotify, maybe mentioning the biggest thing that you've learned listening to the podcast or something specific that you took away from this conversation with Michael and put it under those five stars, of course. So rate it with five stars. At the very least, just do that. It, it helps so many people discover the podcast. But then also leave maybe a nice note or or something that you've learned, some, some gratitude for this podcast. I don't know. Uh, I, w- I would love that if you... It, uh, if you left that review, I, it would mean it would mean the world to me. I also love it if you shared this episode with a friend. Uh, maybe they just make golf way too complicated, and they try to turn their game into something that it's just not meant to be. Um, I have done that in my past. I would have loved to hear this episode with Michael uh, in my past. So um, share this episode with someone who probably needs to hear that. They definitely need to hear it from Michael. Michael's an inspiration in that way of just loving his own game, loving the improvement uh, process. So send this to that friend. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.